Hey, praise the Lord. Come on, let's give Jesus a big cheer. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Oh, because of him, we live. Amen. Because of him, we can face tomorrow with joy in our hearts. Amen. You can grab your chairs and um, it's a joy to be with you. It's great, always great to be back in the colonies and uh, bring your greetings from the Queen. Praise God. God's doing good things and uh, I was just making some notes this morning as I was listening to heaven and I was moved how we're in such interesting times. Whether you're in the United States or the United Kingdom, I'm sure that we can all agree that these are in some ways unprecedented, amazing times in which we're living. Pray for us in the UK, we just need to get Brexit done. We need to come out of Europe, but there's so many delays and hurdles and blockages. We need to see a unity in England. We need to see God breaking out in England. We need to see God breaking out in America. And when I look around at the Western world, I can see that he is. I can see that though there's darkness that's prevalent and obvious, the light of the kingdom is greater and what God plans to do in this generation We need to have such excitement in our heart. We need to move away from being excited about coming to church and be driven by an excitement of being church. Because the world is not changed, you see, if we remain in buildings. The world is changed when we realise we are the church and we're a blessed people, but we're also a commissioned people. And that's what I felt stirred to talk about. I'm just currently off to New York tonight and I'm in the middle of writing another book which is simply called Win Your World. And it's a handbook for lifestyle evangelism because I believe God's plan for changing the world is no longer big arenas and big stages and celebrity preachers. I believe that God's agenda and plan for changing the world is a mobilised church. A church that genuinely cares for the lost again. A church that can't sleep while people are going to hell or a lost eternity. So this is great times that we're in. But I believe we need to look at our western world of America and England, Portsmouth, Williamsport, and realise that truly the harvest is ripe. Riper, I believe, than ever before. But if we're to say that the harvest is ripe, we must also say that the harvest needs harvesters. And I believe it would be fitting and respectful to God in this hour for us to turn our hearts to being harvesters more than what we ever have before. Maybe you're here and you say, I am a harvester, Pastor Andy. Then I'm not knocking, I'm encouraging. But to those who are not yet harvesting in the harvest field, I believe that in this hour of great significance, I sound a little bit like Winston Churchill, don't I? (laughs) Never has so much been owed to so many. We will fight them on the beaches and we will fight them in the air. But I believe we're in an hour of great importance where we need to hear the voice of the general speaking over his army again. The day of sitting and watching is over. The darkness is here, but so is the light, and it's time for the light to shine. 
not within arenas and performances and entertainment structured meetings, but in the lives of those who follow Jesus Christ. I'm reminded in Matthew 9, I'm going to use a lot of verses that are all familiar, so we're not going to read through them all. It says that Jesus, <clears throat> I love this, it says he went from town to village preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing everyone that was harassed. I love that when I read that. He said he looked out over those who were harassed and he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. He healed their diseases. Now when we read these verses, we need to understand that he was one man in one place. But his plan never changed, you see. Still today, he wants to go to every town and village and help those who are harassed, heal the sick and save the lost. But now he's not doing it in one singular expression because the grain of wheat fell to the ground and died. So it never remained alone. Now the Lord wants us to be his body in every place, in every town, university, college, workplace, community. Now when I read on from that, it says in Matthew 9 that he looks to his disciples and he says this. You know these verses. Oh, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. In another passage of scripture, he speaks of procrastination. He says, don't say three months, don't say six months, don't say a year, for now the harvest is ripe. I believe those words are fitting for the hour in which we find ourselves. But in this version, he turns and he says to them, the harvest is so ripe, but the workers, you see, the harvesters are so few. Pray to the Lord that he would thrust out harvesters into the harvest field. I believe that it's not good enough for a man or a woman to pray for the Lord to put harvesters in the harvest field without saying, and send me too, Lord. And send me too. It's passing responsibility to pray for the Lord to respond to the harvest by sending others. The first prayer I believe we should all pray is send us, Lord. Send me. I hear the conversation of heaven, who shall I send? My response is, Lord, send me. But you see, when these words were said, the church was few. But we can't really claim that today, can we? When Jesus said the fields are ripened to the harvest, but the workers are few. In that hour, in that time, the, the church was not yet born. So the followers were few. But today, apparently, according to Google this morning, the church is made up of 2.2 billion people in a world of 7.7 .7 billion people. So there's a great need for the other 5 billion, 5.5 billion to find Christ. Forgive me for being harsh. I believe if Jesus was to say that statement today, he, would, he wouldn't say we are few. He would say the fields are ripe unto harvest. Williamsport is ripe unto harvest. But the workers are lazy, apathetic, self-concerned, self-fulfilling, self-obsessed, uncaring, unbelieving in a lost eternity. We are certainly not few. These things need to mobilize our hearts to be a part of what I believe is the next move of God. 
Can't you see or feel a fresh move of the Spirit happening? In the church today, there's a fresh move of the Spirit. But you see, it's not for us to perform for each other. The gifts of the Spirit are no longer for us to use just in church. In fact, we're coming back to an original primitive purpose. That God, I believe, by His Holy Spirit today, is mobilizing the church for harvest. That Jesus, you see, is returning soon. And before he returns, there must be a harvest where the lost come into the kingdom. Where the kingdom is preached and the lost find the kingdom. You see, the army that the Lord is looking for is not a few that get their face on the front page of Charisma but an army that's seated, many asleep in the light. There's a sound of awakening coming through the body of Christ, not driven by obligation or guilt, but I believe we're beginning to catch his heartbeat that none would perish. So we need a shift in our thinking. We need to understand that we also need to be as Paul, unashamed of this gospel. I love those verses in Romans 1.16 where Paul declares, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul was probably ashamed a lot of what religion had been doing, as am I. Paul was probably ashamed of some of the things he'd done over his life, as am I. But he wasn't ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, contained in the good news. That's why we must know the good news. We must preach the good news. We must be trained to understand the good news. Because within this good news of Jesus, not Allah, Buddha, there's one way that leads to the Father, Jesus Christ. He is the door. Always has been, always will be. Within this good news that we know and we sing about is the very power of God to bring a person from separation to being a part of his family, according to his desire. We need to shift in our thinking that the Great Commission is every man's commission. It doesn't belong to church leadership. You see, Jesus never said to church leadership, I'm giving you a Great Commission. He gave that commission to every follower, man, woman and child. Today, We need to take ownership like never before and responsibility for a commission that wasn't given to church leadership, it was given to the church. I believe we're in exciting times where we're moving from a seated position of watching a few to the church being mobilized. I love the end results, I saw some of the end results of the charismatic move, it was a It was a very interesting move of the spirit, the charismatic move. But there was an error that followed it. And this was the error, I believe, of the charismatic move. It left huge buildings filled with people sitting, watching a few men do all the work. God is turning the plan back to normal. You see, when we read the book of Ephesians, It tells us the purpose of church leadership. When we read Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13, it says, And he has given 
pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles, not to do the work, you see, but to equip the church for works of ministry, works of service. I believe we're back in an hour where the Lord is bringing order to that thought. And we're moving away from celebrity preachers that you come and sit and watch. You bring your friends to come and watch. To pastors and prophets and evangelists and apostles and teachers, equipping the saints. That's you and me. For the works that the Lord's got for us. Should evangelism be a project? No, I think it should be a lifestyle. I think if what we've done with evangelism is so effective, why has it not really been that effective? Because there's still 5.5 billion that don't yet know him or claim him as saviour. And let's face it, within the 2.2 billion, there's a lot of people that go to church, but they don't know Jesus, you see. There's a great work for us to do. The church must be equipped as harvesters and soul winners. If we're to respond to this hour of war that we are in to see his kingdom come. You see, I believe that project evangelism is good, but lifestyle evangelism is the plan of heaven. It's great that we bring people to special projects or performances that we put on and we certainly, by doing that, win a few. But I really believe that that should never be a replacement for every person that says they're a follower of Jesus, having the lifestyle of an evangelist. You see, there's a difference between the office of ministry and the lifestyle of ministry. Everyone should be evangelistic. Everyone should prophesy. Everyone should be pastoring someone. Everyone should be apostolically sent in their life. And everyone should be able to teach the word to their neighbor. That doesn't give them the office of ministry but the lifestyle is what Jesus intended each of us to know. The day of priesthood where you sit and watch one man at the front that's dressed like mother and calls himself father doing everything is over. Those days are over. It's time for the body of Christ to be equipped for the ministry that Jesus gave us. So where do we get started with such a great commission? When we read the great commission, Mark 16, Matthew 28, we know this off by heart. It's a part of the things we've memorized. Go now into all the world. What is it about go we don't understand? Is it the G or the O? It's not a big word, is it? But we've replaced the word go with stay. And we've got to come back to go. We've got to love our gatherings, but be the body of Christ in our scatterings. But when we're not together worshiping, we're on the mission field. The mission field not being Africa or Asia, but for you guys, Williamsport and the surrounding villages. You see, missions isn't something we go on. Mission is something we are. So when we read these verses, maybe you've only been saved a few weeks, a few months, and you hear that great commission. That's the commission of every man. No one's excluded. Go into, and if you read it in King James, it's even more scary, isn't it? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We know that when we read Mark's account and Matthew's account, Jesus says, go out there. Don't just preach the gospel. Lay hands on the sick. 
see them recover, raise the dead, cast out devils. He's not speaking to church leadership. He's speaking to his body. He's saying, you can't be imprisoned and incarcerated in your buildings. It's time to go into the harvest field, equipped and able to share the good news to those that you say you love. I'm always amazed when I say to people, do you love your friends and family? And they say, dearly. And I said, then why would you let them go to hell without saying anything? Do we not believe in a lost eternity? Do we not believe in a saviour Christ? Or does our embarrassment and our humiliation mean more to us than the thought of someone hearing and their life being saved? Our motivations for evangelism should be one of love, not guilt. So how do we go into the world? Let me break this down into bite-sized chunks. Maybe we don't yet go into the world, as in Africa, Asia, Europe, and take it on single-handedly. Maybe the beginning for each and every one of us, if we make this a doable project, a doable commission, is to first address the world that's unique to us. You see, if you take responsibility for your world, and I take responsibility for the one the Lord has given me, then together we take responsibility for the whole thing. But so often people want to go to Africa or Asia to preach the gospel, when actually the gospel that they need to preach is more needed in their local world that's unique to them. So today I don't want to send you to Africa or Asia, I want to send you back into your world this afternoon with eyes open to those in it that don't yet know him, and say it's time for you to draw on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and let those people that are unique in your world. Sometimes with my people, what I do is this. I give them out a piece of paper and I say, draw a big circle on that piece of paper. Because sometimes people have problems locating their local world. This helps them to do it. I say, draw a big circle on that bit of paper and write the names in that bit of paper your neighbours, your friends, your family, your own household, your work colleagues. Write the names of people in that circle that you presume don't yet know him. Because again, in heaven, I think we'll all be surprised who's there and who's not. But as far as you know, because you've observed their life, you're pretty sure they don't yet know him. Write their names in that circle and then put that piece of paper in your Bible, on your fridge, on your mirror, whichever one you frequent the most, and be stirred in your heart. Begin to pray for them. Everything starts with prayer. If all you do is prayer, then prayer is powerful. Begin to call out their names to the Lord. Lord, my next door neighbour, let them be saved. Lord, my cousin, let them be saved. God will hear an unselfish prayer like that. And then begin to ask the Lord for opportunities. The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. Don't be stupid. Be wise. Look for opportunities. Pray for the lost in your circle. That's your world. But what about the ends of the earth, brother? No, he called us to them too, but first he called us to Jerusalem. You see, when we read Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He's given them a great commission and they're all ready to go. They're saying, we're going to go yet, we're going to go. And the Lord says, no, no, don't go yet. 
because you're still in your own ability. Rather, wait for the infilling of the Holy Spirit because he will empower you to bear witness of me. So the disciples were saying, let's go. And Jesus said, not yet. But after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, go. But first he says, go and be witnesses for me. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even unto the ends of the earth. It's easier to be a missionary in the ends of the earth in many ways because no one knows you there. You can, in fact, be whoever you like. But if our evangelism is to be more than words, our lifestyle should be evangelistic. The people that know us watch us and they say, truly, there's something different about you, not just the words you're trying to tell me. But in many ways, being an evangelist in our local Jerusalem can be more challenging. I've been on world missions and I still go on them. I love them. I believe everyone should go on short-term missions. But the problem is when you get off of a plane in Africa or Asia, no one knows you. You can be whoever you want. You can be, you can be Sir Tom Jones. Why, 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 Delilah? You can be Elvis Presley. Well, if your baby leaves you, no one knows you. You could be Tina Turner. When I was a little girl, I had a rag on. No one knows you. You try that doing that at work on Monday. They'll call you out. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in our Jerusalems. God's calling you today to your Jerusalem to be a witness of who he is and what he's done. But let us not overlook our households. I believe that God's a God of household salvation. Sometimes we look over our own households to those who are lost in our local worlds. And the Lord says, don't do that. I've heard people say, well, if I concentrate on other people's family, the Lord will concentrate on mine. To a degree, but he also calls you to be a witness to your household. Because you know what I understood when, Andy called, when God called Andy, he didn't call Andy, he called Elms. But when God saved me, he had my household in mind. When God called you, he didn't call your first name, he called your last name. And his plan was that you and your household would be saved. Just as Noah came into the ark with his household, God wants you to be a witness to your own household, to your Jerusalem, your neighbours, your friends. Then you move to Judea, Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. But brother, the next bit, how can I do that? Oh, you're talking about preaching. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. How about we just change the word preach to communicate? How about we make it a little bit less scary? And we say, well, actually, the Lord's saying, why don't you today go into the harvest field of your local life with your friends, your neighbours, and communicate the best you can as only you can, who Jesus is and the remarkable things he's done in your life. Because we can all do that. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. What are we, 
when we're witnesses, we're bearing witness of what we saw. If suddenly you saw a traffic accident and the police asked you to be a witness, the reason they're asking you to be a witness was you were there when it happened. You experienced it. You see, God doesn't want you to get a wooden box, go into your Jerusalem, your local world, and stand on it and preach. He wants you to communicate every day in every way how incredible Jesus is and how you're not embarrassed of the one who saved your soul. You see, some people are more passionate of a man that saved a goal than they are of the one that saved their soul. I want to be unashamed. I want to be like Paul, not just in the ends of the earth, but with my neighbours. You see, for me, this is a relational thing. Why would I be embarrassed of someone that I say I love the most? If we were to go for lunch afterwards and you never knew me, I can promise you it wouldn't be long before my gorgeous wife, Gina, and my five incredible kids would find their way in the conversation. It wouldn't be a deliberate maneuver. I can't help myself because I love them. In the same way, why would not my saviour, the lover of my soul, naturally, not during lunch, me standing on a chair and go, right now I'm going to preach the word. It's not going to work. But when I look in someone's eyes and I say, can I tell you about Jesus? What he's done for me. The things he saved me from. The times he stopped me dying. The times he put me back together again. The times he gave me another chance when I didn't deserve one. Can I tell you about my Jesus? I believe today God is commissioning afresh and unashamed people. I remember speaking to some young people a while ago and I said, you need to stop treating Jesus like an ugly girlfriend. Oh, when you're with him alone, you sing such wonderful songs. I love you, I love you, dance, you perform. You tell him of your love. But then later on, you're walking down the street and some friends of yours happen to come around the corner. And imagine if you were a girlfriend and someone had been singing love songs to you, like we were this morning. Then suddenly when his friends came around the corner, he shoved you in a bush. And as you're laying in the bush, you hear him pretending that you weren't there. I really hope that that young lady would understand what was transpiring. But maybe it will take the second time. When again, the friends return and she finds herself in a bush. I hope that she would have enough sense to turn around and say, the issue we're dealing with here is he's embarrassed of me. May we never shove the Lord in a bush. May we never be embarrassed. May we never deny. He said if we deny him, <laughs> then he's in a position to deny it. May we, may we not be driven in our evangelism by guilt or obligation, but just a desire. They've got to know the one that changed my life. May we be unashamed in our communicating of him, our preaching, our, our revealing of him to others. All right. So what's the issue with us?
communicating Jesus to our friends and family. Because sometimes, as an evangelist, which is what I am, you have to locate the roadblocks so the people can find freedom. And I, I started to ask myself this question. Why is it that people have a problem communicating Jesus to their friends and their family, the harvest field that God's calling them to? And to me, it was often because they didn't know how to start the conversation. Simple. I wrote here, how to initiate a normal and effective conversation with people you come in contact with daily. We all know that we want to be in conversation, but sometimes it's the opener. And so I began to consider this, and there's a bit of a move of the spirit in England at the moment where people are going out leading others to Christ. And I appreciate that, and I love what they're doing. I just don't like their question, to tell you the truth. That's just me. Because what they do is they go up to strangers in the street with a good heart and great boldness, and they ask this question, if you die tonight, do you know if you're going to heaven or hell? Now, to me, I was raised a big chunk of my life in bars, and that sounds a little bit too much like a threat. If somebody comes to me and says, if you die tonight, you know where you're going. That's like when people used to say to me in the bar, pick a window, you're leaving. My response was always, okay, pick another one, I'm coming back. So I was nervous. And don't get me wrong, if somebody's dying and they've got minutes, that's a very, very good question to ask. So I took this to the Lord in prayer. I said, Lord, how can I help people to get in conversations without using some statements that could appear threatening in a modern generation? And the Lord was so wonderful how he answered me. He said, well, it's just simple. Ask them the question I asked. It's only the Holy Spirit that can give you great answers like that. He said, ask the question I asked. I said, what, what question did you ask, Lord? And he took me to Matthew 16. And it says that he was with his team and he asked them a question. Very simple question. Not very threatening. Great for getting you into conversation. He said, let me ask you this. Who, who do people say I am? And they said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. He said, oh, interesting, interesting. Let me ask another question. Who do you say I am? And that drew out of Peter his true response. And I sat there, I went, that's so simple, it's ridiculous. That's so easy, how did I miss it? I don't need to go up to people and say, if you die tonight, where are you going? It's like evangelists. Remember how we all preached, if you got hit by a truck tonight? That's terrible. <laughs> Looking back on it, I used to do it as an evangelist. If you're leaving tonight and you were hit by a truck, do you know where you're going to spend it? It's like people are like, go home from our meetings, avoiding trucks, you know? It's threatening. But a good question is intriguing. So all of a sudden, the Lord began to put in my heart, just begin to ask people, remember, not as an evangelist on the stage, but in my own lifestyle, that question. I was so blessed by the response. I've not had one argument or aggressive moment from asking that question. But I have had so many incredible answers that brought me into incredible conversations. 
So all of a sudden, this is going on in my heart, and it was actually the time I was with you last year. And I thought, okay, Lord, you want me to begin to ask that question. Can I ask you a question, who do you say Jesus is? Sounds too simple, right? What restaurant were we in? What was it? Brickyard. Anybody know Brickyard? Good food. Especially the roast beef and horseradish. Oh, my goodness. And so I'm there, and the waitress came over, and I thought, right, I need to take this on a road test before I ask my people to do this. And so the waitress came over. I don't know if she was the first or second, and I said to her, hey, the food was delicious. Remember, if you've been a terrible customer, don't try this. Your lifestyle has already shut you down. What they've seen means they're not going to listen. So she came and she, she brought the bill. And this is a little tip I found. I don't know what the magic is. But if you talk to them about Jesus before you pay the bill, they don't go anywhere. It's amazing. You know when they, they ask for your card? I don't know how that works. But I found over the last year that if I don't pay the bill until I tell them about Jesus, they don't go anywhere. They just want to stand and listen. It's amazing that. I'm not sure how that works. But this young lady came up to us and we were sitting and I said, can I ask you a question? She said, yes, certainly. I said, it's a very intriguing question. Please don't tell me an answer you think you want me to know. I I think I, I need. Tell me what you honestly think. She said, yeah, okay, what's the question? I said, who do you say Jesus was? The air stopped. And she looked at us and she said to us, that's a very good question. I said, well, thank you. Knowing that it it was the Lord that gave it to me. She said, this was her answer. Well, I don't know everything, but I know he died on the cross for my sins. Suddenly, we were able to engage at the level of what God was doing in her life. And I said, so for you to know that he died for your sins means that you were probably... Raised in a Christian home? Yes, sir. But you don't know him for yourself. And suddenly we were in this conversation where I was preaching the gospel, but really I was communicating my Jesus. And we were able to challenge her with a prayer she could pray that night. So every time I go anywhere now, that's the question I ask. And I want to give you that question for your harvest field. Because every one of you can be a soul winner. When they ask you a question you don't know, don't fake it. They know a phony. Just tell them. I'll ask my pastor and I'll be back here next week to give you the answer. Let's be normal, yet powerful. I've not had one person ask me for a fight when I've asked that question. I've had incredible answers. I've had people say that he was an astronaut. I've had people say he was an alien. I've had people say all manner of things. I had someone recently say to me they believed he was a magician and a con man. That everything he did was sleight of hand. I said, that is so interesting. And then we were able to talk about how their new age parents had brought those thoughts into his mind. But you see, you know what I love? That the Lord hasn't sent us out into our harvest field in our own strength. In fact, we understand according to Acts 1.8 that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit isn't for what we do in this building. It's for what we do in our harvest field. You shall receive power. That word power means dynamite. Another translation is force. 
you will receive force when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And because you've received the force of the Holy Spirit, you will be, not might be, this isn't a great suggestion, and it's become a great omission, but we need to make it again a great commission. You will be powerful in your soul winning. But you see, people don't live by faith these days, so they want to feel something before they do anything. You see, everything we do is faith. When we approach communion, if there's no faith, there's no miracle. When we approach baptism, if there's no faith, there's no new creation. When we come to worship, it's not how we feel, it's what he deserves. Well, I just don't feel it. Well, I I woke up this morning and I didn't feel human, am I? We've got to lay down the captivity of this sense-driven life and say everything he gives me is when I act according to faith. So it's like an iron or a hairdryer. You can sit there all day and stare at that thing and say, wow, it's plugged into electricity. So it's able to dry my hair. So you tell me it's able to iron my clothes. Okay, okay, okay. You're not going to experience its potential till you flick the switch. See, many Christians, because they're sense-driven, are waiting to feel something before they obey God and begin to share. But you see, he doesn't givey-givey, then you goey-goey and doey-doey. You goey goey, dewey dewey, he givey givey. If we started doing everything we do by faith, we'd see incredible things. He meets us in the moment. Recently, what I've been encountering is just a fresh move of the gifts of the Spirit. Not on church where everybody can clap and visit my website, in restaurants. I was sitting in Louisiana in a restaurant there and I was sitting there talking to this young man and I asked him the question, who do you say he is? And he answered and I thought, "Mm, he's not persuaded. And all of a sudden I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, tell him about, um, you know, that year in school when he was 12. All right, I said, so that year when you were 12 in school really shaped your life. And he looked at me. He said, how would you know that? I said, well, this Jesus that I'm talking about told me. He also told me about a a man called Jeremy. And suddenly I was speaking things into his life. All I was doing was having a go. I thought, what's he going to do if I get it wrong? Kill me? Doubt that. (laughs) Suddenly the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you see, began to flow. Words of revelation, words of healing. I was in one time and I said, Lord, I want to begin to let these gifts, Holy Spirit, flow. And I felt the Lord say, her name's Donna and it's her fifth vertebrate. I said, well, that's a little bit precise, Lord. Could we start with Jane Headache? But you know, I was with a group of people. I said, who's Donna? And this woman put her hand up. I went, well, praise the Lord. We're halfway there. I said, bad back? She nodded. I said, it's your fifth vertebrate. She said, sir, how would you know that? I said, My Jesus told me. Now if he told me, it's because he wants to heal you. He's not going to reveal something and leave you sick. So come on forward right now. And we prayed, 
power of God came in. You see, what we've done is we've made the power of the Holy Spirit for our own entertainment. We've made it about goosebumps and tingles and how I feel. Did I fall over? Uh, Oh, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. When earth touches heaven, there's a moment. But the empowerment of the Spirit, the the primary purpose, was to equip us and empower us for what we do outside these doors. Church shouldn't be the be-all and the end-all of your Christian experience. The church should be a place of training and celebration, that you come and celebrate what the Lord did through your life last week, and you're trained to do it again this week, even with more force. We've got to deliver church from being a performance of selfish ambition. All right, let's bring this in for a closing. Our motivation should just simply be our love for him. That's what it should be. The only thing that should drive us is our love for him. But he still says, as he revealed through Peter, it's his desire that none would perish. How are we doing for time? Are we nearly there? Our watch isn't working, which means Jesus doesn't care. Apple never get anything wrong, so it must be the Lord. But none would perish. I got really upset with a church in New Orleans at the beginning of the year because when I went there, it was all right that I was upset because so was the pastor. He just needed a big mouth to help him. I am that man. There were a bunch of leaders in his church that were teaching this. Oh, it's only about your proximity to Jesus. That's all that matters. And I said, okay, I kind of hear what you're saying. That's the Mary bit of your Mary Martha equation. I get that. No, they said, no, this is, this is the bit that annoyed me, pastors. Evangelism is dead works. We just need to sit on Papa's lap. I wanted to vomit on them, not just with them, on them. And so I said, I have a question for you. I love it that you want to sit on Papa's lap. And you desire proximity with him. But I have a question. If you're on his lap, that must mean that you're pretty close to his heart. Hmm. And if you're that close to his heart, you must hear his heartbeat. But none will perish. But none will perish. Let's not make our own desires of what we need the focus of our walk with God. Lord, what matters to you? but the lost are saved. Lord, let me get over my own embarrassment and speak to those I need to. The amazing thing about the Lord is if you pray such a prayer, there's a whole bunch of prayers he never answers, isn't there? But the minute you pray, Lord, give me someone to tell about you, they're there before you finish praying it. At the bus stop in McDonald's, they're suddenly like, wow, Lord, you must like that prayer. He loves that prayer. But none would perish. I had a dream or a vision. I can't remember what it was. It's, I felt a little bit like Paul when he said, I don't know if I was awake or asleep, but I saw something. And whenever I get apathetic in my soul winning, he reminds me of this picture. I was queuing to go into heaven. And it was glorious, white, light, jewels. And as I was queuing to go into heaven on that great day, I had to cross over a bridge. And crossing over the bridge, I looked down. And I saw what looked like a river of blood and fire that was flowing under the bridge, heading somewhere that no man would want to go. 
But what disturbed me was I recognised people in it. And as I was going over the bridge into eternity with God, some of them were screaming at me, why didn't you tell us? You knew! You knew! Why didn't you tell us? Something flicked in my heart. Let them call me a fool. Let them punch me in the face. But let no man, especially in my Jerusalem, say of me in that day, I knew and I didn't tell them. Come on, it's time for us to get sober. It's time for us to thank the Lord for all he's done in our lives. But it's time for us to say, Lord, what matters to you? You know what the Lord is inviting us today? Because he's already in the harvest field for us to come and join him. Oh, God is omnipresent. He's here. Thank you, Lord. We lean in to your presence. But he's also, you see, not behind the straw door of an African village where there's poverty you can see. He's in all those buildings around that outreach center with the single mums wondering how they're going to feed the kids. If God was a cyclops and he had one eye, he'd be fine because he would just see us and love what we're doing here. <sighs> but the problem is his other eye is looking at the grandma raising a child because her son died of drugs that's on her knees right now crying, will anyone help me? God cannot not see that. He cannot not hear that. Because we'll end where we started. He goes around towns and villages, you see, looking for those who are harassed, that he would mend, restore, provide. But for us, you see, he's the head of the church now, and we're the body. Which means he's still sending us. I pray that some of you this year will go to the ends of the earth. I pray that some of you would go to your Judea Samaria. But my greatest prayer is that you would see your Jerusalem, the local unique world that God's given you. Your world is so unique to you. Oh, they cross over when we know people in common. But your Jerusalem is the world that the Lord's given you. I challenge you when you get home, put a big circle on a piece of paper. And begin to write the names within that circle of people you presume would not go to heaven if they died today. If all you do is pray, then that's better than what you did before. But I pray that you wouldn't just pray, but you'd begin to say, Lord, let me have communication with these people. And in that day, you're not scared anymore how to start the conversation because Brother Andrew taught you what God taught him the simplest of questions. Can I ask you a question I've never asked you? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus was? I guarantee that many of them will stop and go, hmm, hmm, that's a good question. Yes, it is. It's a very good question. And then they will reveal to you where they stand with God and why they stand there 
you haven't got to respond by preaching violently like a crazed man in a marketplace. But then you hear the Holy Spirit, ask them this. And you want to say, it's like you're a weirdo because you're like, that's a good question. God wants to ask you this, but don't do that because that's a little bit strange. But whenever we're dealing with people, we should have one ear open to them and one ear open to the Holy Spirit. I've been in lines once where I was queuing to get groceries. And all of a sudden, my heart was stirred. God stirred by everyone, but every now and then, you know when he gives you a nudge and you leave going, man, I should have said something. Just get over it and next time say something. But I was queuing to get some food once and I saw a lady and she looked fine, like in a Walmart. And I queued there, but as I began to get there, I said, Lord, what are you doing in her life? And he gave me a question. So when I got to her, I said, hello, how are you today? She said, I'm fine. I said, well, you're not because you're, you're worrying about your daughter that's not home. She's gone away somewhere. And forgive me, I don't want to be a weirdo, but I believe in God and I believe that he's saying he's bringing her back home. She went frozen. How would you know that? Because you see, the God that went to the villages to meet those who were harassed 2,000 years ago now lives in me. And he loves you as much as he loved them. Church gets boring when we make it all about us. Pray for me. Now you pray for me. You fell over. Now I want to fall over. And the Holy Spirit's like, all right, I know the end of a thing from the beginning. We'll get there one day. Today is that day. But none should perish, should ring through the corridors of our hearts. But I don't feel strong enough. We've dealt with that. Flick the switch of the iron and you will feel the power of the Holy There's no feeling when it comes to the Holy Spirit that's greater when sharing your faith, when you're nervous and you're scared. And then suddenly, it's like to me, it feels like adrenaline. I'm like, it's like I suddenly have like testosterone or adrenaline or something. Just I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them. And the minute I say, all of a sudden, whoosh, I'm thinking, right, I, where's Goliath? I'm going to take him. I'm just, I'm just, wow. Why am I so surprised? That's what he promised. So today we're going to have a commissioning service. I didn't plan this, but I don't plan most of what I do anyway. Ask my wife. Two questions. The first one, to those who are here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Who do you say he is? Would you like to know him? Would you like a relationship with him? Just close your eyes with me one moment. May we all pray this prayer together, saved or not. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus died on a cross for me. He ended the separation between me and you. In him, I'm no longer separated, but I'm joined. Born again, a new creation. I believe in you, Jesus. Save me. Just my every eyes closed, every head's bowed. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer or you don't know where you stand with God today, as I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. Think about it. One. Two. Three. God bless you, sir. 
Anybody else? Everybody know they love God, know that God loves them. Is there anyone else? You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. That means that God bless you. Apart from these two responses and the Lord meets you right now, everyone else in this room is a believer. God, God bless you. I see three hands, four hands. Is there a fifth hand? It's your decision. No one's forcing you. Father, we just thank you for the release of your kingdom into those lives. If you've raised your hands, I just encourage you to speak to your pastor after the service. And he'll tell you the steps forward now on your journey to heaven. But that leaves the rest of us in this room. God's calling you to be a harvester. He's calling you today, not tomorrow. Don't say three months, the harvest is right now. To come out from behind your excuses and your fears and say, here I am, Lord, send me. I've taught on church growth for many years and people get annoyed because I make it more simple than what they think. If you want to double your church in six months, it's really simple. I don't know where you'll put them or you'll have to start another service. Do you know how simple it is? Every one of you bring one person to the Lord in the next six months. And I promise you, if you do that, your church will double in, 12, in six months. If you're here today and you say, Lord, send me into the harvest field. I'm not going to whip this into a frenzy, but I shouldn't. But I want to say the Lord wants to commission you today to be a soul winner in the world he's given you. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the courage. He'll give you his Holy Spirit, the tools of the Holy Spirit. He just needs you to go and turn up willing. If you're here today, and please don't stand if you don't mean it. God doesn't reward phony. If you're here today and you say, Lord, I will be a harvester in your harvest. Today, I leave the comfort of my Christianity to meet you in the harvest field because you have a job for me to do. I want you to think right now, is that you? And if it is, to stand to your feet. This means that the Lord's going to give you some divine appointments this week. He's very, he's very, very, very good at this, the Lord. He's already looking at people in your world that you'll be perfect to talk to. I'm always amazed when I get into conversations. I'm like, Lord, you set this up. That person's got the same life as I had. How could you have done that? You see, the fields are ripe and the workers are few, which means when a whole bunch of workers stand up, the Lord says, let's get busy then. Well, I haven't been trained. Oh, don't worry about that. If you didn't know him, you'd have to tell people what you knew about him. But when you know him, the simplest of words can change hearts because it's the power in the words. It's the spirit of the words we share. If I was to share with you how much I love Gina, you would love her too by the end of a conversation. If I could have a moment with you to share you how much I love my Jesus, you would want to love him too. Would you just lift your hands and pray after me today? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.
you have called me to the harvest field. You know what I can do and what I can't. And what I can do with you in me. Send me into the harvest field. Show me my Jerusalem. Put your heartbeat within me for my unique world. Empower me, Holy Spirit, to go and share the love of Jesus, to be a witness to everyone in my unique world. Take my blindfold off, Jesus, and let me see my Jerusalem and have a heart to see it saved. I present myself to you today, Father, as one risen from the dead, as a new creation, ready for your purposes. Today I want to meet you in the harvest field and see my friends and family, neighbours and colleagues find you too. Just keep your hands lifted. There's an anointing here. There's an anointing here for this. You can't convince me that God won't anoint you to do this. Other things, I'm not sure if he'll anoint you to do it, but this, you are speaking God's language. You are speaking God's language when you say, meet me in the harvest field, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, as you did in the book of Acts, according to Acts 1, verse 8, that, Lord, your people will receive power to be witnesses. I pray right now for a release of the Holy Spirit that empowers people to be witnesses. Right now, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, saturate, empower, infuse. Light them up, Lord, light them up. Light the foxes' tails and send them out in twos, Lord. Send them into the forest, into the harvest. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn that you can't remain silent. Just like the prophet of old. I said I wouldn't speak, but it was fire. Shut up in my bones. I could not but speak. I receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive you, Holy Spirit, for the purpose of being witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Did God do something in your life today? Come on, did God do something in your life today? Let me encourage you, um, the devotional book, God's Blueprint will stir you up. It's all about what we've been sharing. But also, if you want to know what you believe regarding salvation, read Breathe Again. Breathe Again will lay out everything you need to know to share to others. But also, to change your life also. The Lord bless you. We love you guys. So thankful for our friendship and our relationship with you. And we're believing it's going to keep on growing and then we'll continue it in eternity. And uh, the Lord bless you. Thank you.